Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you're a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $19 billion promotional products business. My name is Bobby Lehu, CEO of Robin Promotions. I'm joined by my friend and co-host Mark Graham, president of Right Sleeve and CEO of Common Skew. And joining us today is Jeff Becker, president and founder of CODIS Design. Jeff can be found online at codisdesign.com. That's K-O-T-I-S design.com. Jeff, welcome to the Promo Kitchen community. Thank you for having me. Mark, you guys met at uh, Expo, is that right? Yeah, we, Jeff, I'm trying to think, we had met formally at Expo, or actually, sorry, we had met at, I think, an ASI Power Summit as I was running off to catch a plane, but I think we made a connection uh, to talk a little bit more about Promo Kitchen, and I remember being really struck by your business model when we were chatting in the lobby of the uh, of the hotel and that you were describing to me how you'd built this business that was hyper-focused on this college and brewery niche. And I thought it was interesting because most of the people that I meet in the industry are generalists. They're people that focus on a wide range of industries and don't go necessarily all that deep. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got your start and how it is that you've remained so focused on this particular channel? Yeah, okay. Uh, so I, I, I came to college. I went to the University of Washington uh, in came to school in 1999, joined a fraternity, and right off the bat, sort of volunteered to make t-shirts for the fraternity. And soon after, I was approached by people who knew us who had got shirts from the fraternity uh, to have me make them shirts. And a light yeah. bulb went off, and I was like, wow, this is a business opportunity here. Um, because the college at university, they were not being serviced well enough in our industry. And so for about um, between 2000 and 2004, 2005, uh, I sold t-shirts to the fraternity of Washington. Um, yep. And honestly, I didn't know anything even about the ASI or PPI or this industry in general um, until I started, until after we graduated um, and company started asking us for promo products and one day someone suggested I go to Vegas and I sort of showed up and my eyes got all wide and I was like oh my gosh I didn't even know this even existed here and <laughs> so you know a lot of the principles um, that we're using today sort of started prior to any knowledge in this industry and and what that's done is is it's it's allowed us to spend time focusing on um, industries I mean a lot of this also has to do with, you know, like good to great uh, talking about the hedgehog model and like really focusing on something. Um, you yeah. can't, you know, you, you know, all the companies are, you know, the, the, one of the common things was they, they were all like the best in the world at something and they were really focused. And, and so in everything we try to do, we try to remain focused in the industry where there's, you know, I, I ask people when they come in for an interview, so how many products do you think we could sell in? I, yesterday, someone told me fifty. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> sort of like, you know, my my response is, I don't know, like maybe infinity, yeah, to the, to the infinity power, <laughs> um, yeah, and it just helps us focus on doing something. And you know, I used to, for example, sell a bunch of the high school market, and I recognize quickly that we won't, we'll never be the national, we won't be the uh, world dominant person in the uh, high school market. So we've taken our focus away from that and focused in areas uh, that we can be like right. 
the fraternities and sororities where we started, where we really do have a uh, um, serious market advantage mm-hmm. because of what we do. What, what size company, uh, what, what uh, gross revenue do you guys annually run? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to end up doing um, about $18 million this year in sales. Okay. Great. You know, when Mark sent me your info, he's like, anytime Mark sends me a, hey, we got to talk to this guy, it's usually, yeah. I, I, never, I don't think I've ever questioned a single one of them. But you've got an exceptional brand. There's so many things I want to ask. Um, a couple of things are when you guys, uh, your structure looks like you do in-house decorating. Is that right? We definitely do in-house decorating. Okay. Uh, we we also use um, contractors based on what we need, but I mean, yes, we print ourselves. Okay. And your your particular niche with the brewery and the corporate and the college, um, do you have traditional sales structures with your sales team? Or are they just like straight commission type type traditional setups that we are used to? Um, I have sort of a combination um, of both. I mean, in some of these. Uh, markets. Um, we're definitely doing more marketing, um, more selling of our brand. Uh, it's less focused on the salesperson, more focused on the business and what the business has to offer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that way, um, you know, I mean, so we do screen printing, we do embroidery, we do warehousing, we do fulfillment, we build online stores. Um, you know, we have twelve in-house graphic designers. Uh, we have an extensive amount of knowledge and suggestions. We, we give ideas on um, merchandising, um, not only the product, but also even the display cases. Yeah. We help with spacing right. structures. Um, and so it's, more, it's definitely more of a business model than I'd say the traditional uh, promotional product salesperson. Right. Right, you're more focusing on the business than like a 50-50 sales uh, commission split. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious... Uh, because there are some parallels with how how I got started in this business um, that I'm fascinated to ask you how you evolved from being a guy that could get T-shirts for a fraternity, which is like a pretty lowbrow way to make money in university, right? Like it's an easy way, but pretty lowbrow, right? Like, and how did you go from being that guy, that hustler? that is making shirts for, for the Greek system into an $18 million legitimately real business. Because I think there's a lot of people that are on this or that, that listen to the, the, this particular podcast that are, I think would be fascinated by that switch. You know, you go from being this guy who is producing shirts almost out of the back of your car. I'm going to make I, I'm not going to make that assumption, but I'm just going to sort of say that as a proverbial thing into screen printing in-house, online stores, a technology platform, you know, multiple uh, employees. Like, how did, that, how did that transition take place? Okay, so, so first and foremost, I think that uh, my team are not traditional people in this industry. Yeah. Uh, be working or you know let's take out historically but i think now would be working at facebook google microsoft amazon um and the types of people that we're hiring here uh, we're building we're looking at this as a business rather than um our industry and so I, i'm working on shaping it like that and so we're attracting really solid people um yep. to to spend time focusing on like what their 
uh, great at. Because part of the problem in this industry is is people. You know, it's interesting at the beginning. You know, before we started talking, you guys made some joke about um, using Photoshop. Like, I don't have any Illustrator programs on my computer. Sorry, I don't have any Adobe products on my computer because I don't touch the artwork because that's not right. where my strength is. And so what I've done here this whole time is, is um, I focused on turning this into a business yep. um, and really focusing on where my strengths are, where my business partner's strengths are, where my employees' strengths are. And yep. we spend our time focusing on those things. And, you know, we have a pretty large, I mean, we have a pretty extensive written down business plan that we're focusing on and, and rewriting, looking at, and, and deciding how are we going to move forward rather than trying to react to every single order. Um, yep. I also am a bit of a hustler, just I think by nature. And so I think yep. that that, this, that that position initially uh, suited me well, but also suited where my other strengths are as well to allow me to, to build the business and move forward. And, you know, I also think that I was lucky because during college, um, my lack of ex responsibility financially allowed me to start this business yep. uh, and do what I want. When I graduated, I actually had an offer to go to San Francisco to be an investment banker. Yep. Um, and I thought that's what I was going to do, but instead we decided to try this for a year uh, because of these really great people I have working for us. Right. Wow, Mark. That, you think that answers your question? Sorry, yeah. Bob, you. yeah, I was about to say, you guys have a very similar trajectory. Um, I was going to say, Jeff, you, 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 you're lucky to skip the investment banking. That's how I started, and I lasted about six months, and then I got into this business. So you, uh, you just kind of went straight into it, so good for you. <laughs> Jeff, did you have clients, when you decided to take these divergent paths towards corporate stores, fulfillment, um, I noticed you guys do, obviously you do a lot of licensing. Um, in the early days, that transition were, were these clients that sort of helped guided you along that way as well? I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the hedgehog principle where our, our business makeup is, has some of those similarities. We focused on stores. We focused on fulfillment. We wanted to be the best at what we could be the best at. Um, did you have clients take you in those paths and you went, you know, that's it. That's where we're going to go. Um, did you have a lot of major trial and error during that time? Yeah. I mean, uh, so our first online store was, was because of a company that asks asked us to build one, and, and we had done them, you know, in, in small uh, pieces. But yes, I mean, we built we built an online store and found a warehouse because of a one specific company, right. uh, and that was about nine years ago. They're still with us um, because you know I hate to quote people here, but I, I like to you know Seth Godin you know talks about let's just ship it, you know, ship it, do it. And I think we're really good at just like doing things. And, you know, we may not have had a fancy warehouse that shipped 10,000 packages a day, but someone placed an order. Yep. Someone placed an order and we, sorry about that here. No. Someone uh, placed an order and, and we shipped out the door. And, you know, I think that we're starting to focus our attentions more. I think that over the years we were more traditional where we just said, Hey, we'll sell to anybody. Please take my business. And I'm not saying we won't sell to anybody, but now, but we, we were definitely less focused prior and, you know, the stores and the fulfillment and the screen printing. So like we used to, we used to only use, we used to use contract printers, but our focus on making the best shirts ever, I'll, sends us down the direction of screen printing ourselves because in order to make a best shirt ever, which is one of 
our guiding principles to move forward. Yeah. Print ourself makes sense if we're going to try to make the best shirt ever here. Right. Before we got on the call, you mentioned um, there were specific challenges you had with the industry, and you're obviously shaping your business as a response to those challenges. What are some of those challenge challenges? Well, I'm not sure what people in our industry are adding if all they're doing is reselling someone else's product. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, the only thing that comes about, in my opinion, are how good are you friends are you with that person, and. How cheap are you prepared to sell it for? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and after that, you know, what do companies have really to stand on? Uh, and I think that's where what happens is, is the industry becomes way too reliant on the relationship that the salesperson has with the customer. Yeah. And because of that, people end up losing customers and they end up shifting or whatever. And, and we're trying, I like to say, the more difficult the order, the happier I am with it. Right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because I'm more, because I'm less likely to lose it. Or if a customer says, hmm, maybe I'll go down the street to save, you know, five points or who knows what it is. Or maybe I'll try my friend. It's, it's one of my, one of the things actually, I don't want to say I like the best, but that customer ends up being stronger because they end up not being happy and they end up coming back to us and realizing that we're actually like per- we're actually providing something. I mean, I actually like screen printing because I actually feel as though we're doing something in this entire process rather than right. just selling someone else's item here. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think even more importantly, Jeff, even I, I would wager to say that even beyond the screen printing, which in and of itself is a pretty commoditized service. You guys are adding extraordinary value on the design and creative side, and the fact that you're consulting with your with your colleges and universities on how to sell the product and pricing and margin and displays and fulfillment like that's that's the magic of CODIS that 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 I can see as an outsider. The the um, so good on you guys for for thinking strategically about that because I think the average and I completely agree with you. I think that the average salesperson or average distributor in this business doesn't think to that level. They're thinking, how do I maintain the relationship? How do I sell this and get it out the door? Uh, I know that I've, I've listened in on some Facebook and LinkedIn group conversations for just promotional products uh, specialists, and I'm shocked by how many people talk about how they're proud that they have undercut for imprint because they just simply want to get the order. I'm shaking my head going, my God, are you serious? But those are the people that are selling 200 grand a year in promotional products, not 18 million. Right. I have, I have, I have other ways to take business from four imprint than undercutting them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the value add conversation, and it's easy to throw that word out, but the value add is what I think, Mark, if we found any similarity in the dozens of conversations we've had now with some of the sharpest minds in the business, this whole value add has got to be one of the top three issues we keep going back to in some way, shape, or form. And yep. that's where the entire industry is coming to a head is where this, this, this particular value add. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you completely, Jeff. I think, you know, the complexity of the orders, um, we have a new challenge. The next horizon, I think, for all of us is to talk more about service and service charges because um, what happens when folks that don't even buy into their own value add, do they just water down uh, margins and prices and, and, you know, charging for services is probably next one of those, those hills we've all got to sort of take and do a better job at. Um, tell me a little bit, Jeff, about licensing. You guys uh, do a lot of licensing. Do you have some advice? There are a lot of folks, again, as I mentioned in our email, 
um, young distributors, folks look up to you, a business like yours, and says, wow, how did they do that? How did they get into that? And then do you have some tips on licensing? Right. So, so licensing is is an interesting uh, concept because I think there's two pieces to licensing. I think there's the royalty aspect where the organization or whoever's licensing um, wants to make money. But I also think that it's their way of sort of um, policing who the vendors are um, for like social responsibility, compliance, and especially like, for universities. Um, it's expensive to get into. Um, it seems like you want to do it because there's an order you may lose, but you need to be really prepared to put a bunch of effort. I mean, we, like I have one person and their entire role is licensing. Yeah. That's all this person does. Yeah. Um, they, they work with our, um, they work with the, the organizations that were licensed through um, for, to get artwork approved um, for upcoming uh, like, Maybe changes the licensees license is going to put in. Um, the contracts are insanely complex, and I think it's important that you have a lawyer read um, the contracts so you understand um, how audits are going to work, or where your liability falls, or how insurance is going to take place. Because by signing these agreements, like these organizations are putting responsible, like actually putting responsibility in writing into yeah. our hands. You know, you sell an order of mugs, and there's a problem with it you'll have an easier time putting the blame on the manufacturer, but these contracts are actually putting all responsibility on us. And especially yep. now with the whole, with this, I said, I touched on this compliance and the social responsibility. I mean, when I heard about the whole, um, that when the building fell in Bangladesh, like I was really, I'm really concerned because the universities and I had, I had universities reach out to us asking us if we had, if we used people, vendors in those buildings because they're really concerned about it. And, I think what it's doing is it's actually pushing us to use way more American-made companies. And the yep. more American-made I can go, the better. The more we can print in our own facilities, the better. The more control we can have over this product, the better. Um, yep. Especially with the... Because we're licensed with some other organizations besides just colleges. But with the colleges, they are crazy concerned with where the products are being made. And I yep. just don't think you should take it lightly just to like build like make an order i mean i don't think it's a good enough reason to go in business and i think that totally gets away from the whole hedgehog concept and yep. but it, and it plays directly in our industry of let's just make a sale and move on but i think that's the wrong approach to take because yep. of the responsibility and the amount of effort that goes into what uh it takes to do uh, a licensing agreement yeah jeff you uh you 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 touched on this idea of made in the U.S. Uh, domestic product and I wanted to get into that because on the, in the college and university market and the brewery market uh, as well uh, that you do focus on, um, they're also really price conscious. So I'm curious as to how you've been able to balance this whole idea of promoting made in the USA with the fact that these companies are also, or these universities are also really uh, price conscious. And I know that uh, a lot of distributors face this challenge where they've got customers that come in and say, well, they want made in the U.S. or they want made in Canada or they want environmentally friendly products, but they're not prepared to pay the 20 to 30 percent premium that sometimes they, th- th- those products carry. How have you been able to pull that off? Well, I think that if a person is not prepared to pay for it, I think that they don't really want made in the USA. Um, right. I, think that, you know, I think that's even more 
uh, apparent with like the green products. I think that people say I want green, but I'm not sure why they actually want the green. You know, if you sell a pen that's a, called a recycled pen, you know what's inaccurate about that is that the ink is actually not environmentally friendly, and so I think right. it's not clear. The people who want made in USA are prepared to pay more. Right. Right. I mean, so I, you- I I firmly believe I firmly believe that fact. Right. Right. And they're prepared to, so, so you don't find yourself in a situation that if you're, let's say, dealing with a Frosh Week program for XYZ University and they're looking for 75,000 t-shirts, like have you ever been able to pull off an American apparel sell on 75,000 t-shirts when you could throw them into a Gildan 5000 for a considerable price difference, even though the Frosh Week organizers might be beating their chest on Made in U.S.? I can't think of such a lot. Like I can't think of like a you know many thousands piece order of an American apparel made piece for a school. You know the yeah. problem with the school per se for a giveaway is that I don't think those are the people who are concerned about made in America. Got it. I people understand. Who are concerned about made in America are the students. Got it. Yeah, and I Got think it. that those orders are smaller, and I think that they are happy to spend more. I mean, listen, anytime you're selling a giveaway, yeah, and budget is the number one thing, I think our options are limited. However, I think that we're going to start seeing more options of made in America and prices coming down. I mean, listen, the American Apparel piece is not that expensive. Um, in comparison, I mean, you know, you you know, put that against. I hate to even throw someone out there, but you know, Bella, for example, is making an item that's overseas, and the piece is the same price. And I think yeah. American Apparel has done a really good job of finding. Um, the, I found American Apparel has done a really good job of proving this concept of selling in America and paying wages. And um, I think that no, I, I do not think large orders are prepared to pay for it because I don't think those large orders, as I said, really want made in America because it's a giveaway. Yeah, and and I, yeah, I, I think that's a great clarification. Sorry, Bobby, go ahead. No, Jeff, I was going to ask, switching gears a little bit. Um, Eighteen million in sales, and you guys have had really a skyrocketing success. And I'm looking at uh, some of your accolades: fastest growing business, Inc. Five Thousand. Um, you've obviously recruited and managed a fair share of sales professionals. And we covered this in quite a bit of detail in the last podcast with Daniel Pink. But I'm curious from your perspective, what makes a good salesperson and what are some of the best sales habits that we can sharpen? Okay, yeah. Um, so we, we've grown by about 35% every year. Uh, so it wasn't necessary. So, and I actually like that growth because – uh, it's a it's a number I can manage, and especially in our industry where we're making product rather than you know web based users, where you're doing about as much work for more. Well, you're doing more work, but not same proportion. Um, the salespeople, and I'm going to touch on salespeople in our, our industry rather than uh, in general salespeople. Yeah. Um, you know, one is, and this, this could sound real obvious, but I think you have to be passionate about promotional products. Hmm. Yeah. I think you need to like the industry and what you're doing. I get the concept that that a good salesperson, you know, an Eskimo can sell you can sell ice to an Eskimo. Yep. But our industries, 
Okay, so where our industry is easy with the low barrier to entry and the fact that everyone knows our items plays in the same role that's actually pretty difficult because there are infinity to infinity number of products. Yeah. Yep. And so I have to find people who want to stick around and do this for a while and really enjoy what they're doing because, it, you know, after a year or two, they have a good idea. But if they go to a meeting, some customer is going to ask them a question. They're going to have no idea the answer because they've just flat out never done that. Yep. So I look for people where the pay is right. They like the concept of what we're doing. Um, they believe in our model, and I think that, the, and that I believe that I can see them working for us in, in ten years. I believe that they're going to like promotional products, but I'm also looking for people who I know are salespeople um, who have a little bit of a creative edge, um, but but are prepared to get on the phones and you know hit the streets and, and reach out to people. Our salespeople aren't processing orders or doing our work, so I don't have to focus on people who are necessarily like detail oriented or you know know how to use the creative suite because those that's not I'm hiring people for a different set of skills rather than the all inclusive promotional product skill for somebody here. Wow, that's good. It's good info, Jeff. Uh, when you guys. Um, go to market and some of your sales and marketing strategy and tactics. What are you, what are your sales reps doing to go out and get new business? Ah, uh, you know, I think it depends on, uh, I think it depends on the person. I okay. think some of our salespeople are amazing at asking for referrals. Yeah. And I think some of our salespeople are amazingly consistent and are prepared to call a customer for two, three, four straight years. Yeah. Until yeah. You need make, to. Until they make progress, I think. Um, I think that uh, some of the salespeople are really passionate about who they're selling to. Um, and so it's really easy. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's easy. It's easier for people in our industry to find new customers than they think it is. Yeah. Um, what we built here is the ability to maintain these sales when we land them. Yeah. And and I think an important piece of what we're doing is I'm giving the salespeople time to do this because I know I talked to a lot of industry professionals and, and they're totally, totally bogged down. I mean, that's why, you know, I promote you and Proforma and AIA and all these companies exist to help these salespeople because they're bogged down. Well, we, I'm just taking the bogged downness. I think that's actually a word, but. <laughs> it can be. It is now, man. It is I'm now, yeah. This off of uh, their plate so they can focus on selling and doing, like I said, what their ability is. And, and we sort of give them, we give them tools and techniques um, to do it. But I also like to give each of them, uh, not necessarily me, like my sales director, VP of sales, he likes to give them um, flexibility uh, to go do uh, their thing. Yeah. Right. That's good right. stuff. Uh, Jeff, I know that uh, uh, technology is something that's near and dear to your heart, and you know you touched on it a little bit as as um, as to how it's helped you grow and scale your business. Can you talk a little bit about how you've employed technology in in uh, in your business to do exactly that, to grow and scale and to be efficient and to operationalize? Like, have you used industry tools? Have you yeah. uh, done development in-house? Uh, any tips for people that are listening to, to the show? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give tips. I, I, I'm not sure how much this is going to help, um, but so we have a develop we have a development team here. Okay. Um, and uh, it's going to be. Uh, I think we're actually going to add a couple people here uh, in the quite near future. Uh, but we we built our the entire platform. We use uh, we built. Um, okay. Uh, our inventory management, our online stores, our proofing system, how customers interface with us, uh, how they enter quantities, um, how uh, our inside team and sales, our, our contact manager, our order processor, how we send orders um, to suppliers. So, like for example, we and you know we're connected through EDI with numerous of our suppliers. Um, our account. The only piece of the entire puzzle that we have not built is our, our accounting program, but that's web-based application as well. That's tied in um, through a uh, HTML through a gateway uh, right. where we talk back and forth to it, and so everything happens seamlessly. I mean, our system. We have built the system around what we need, um, and it's definitely. So it's definitely one of the pieces that it is allowing us to process as many orders. I mean, our average order size is so low in comparison to the average industry. I mean, our average order is probably, I should know this number, but it differs. So I don't look at it as a company whole. I look at it per uh, area. It's, yeah. it's probably under $1,500. Right. And so for a non-web-based for inference type of business, I think we are drastically below the industry average, especially for a company doing our size of business. Yeah. And did you find uh, when you were growing that that was something that was always in the cards to build your own technology platform? And the reason I ask you that is a lot of the people in this industry are not uh, they're sales and marketing people. They're not development-minded people, yeah. and and the idea of them bringing on a developer and having to manage someone with that skill set to build a custom program probably blow a lot of people's minds. Right. Um, yeah. How did that factor in in your business model? Okay, so so we bu- started building a system day one. Yep. Uh, day one, we started building, and I actually ended up bringing on. The person who helped me at the beginning, I brought him on as a partner in the company. Got it. So, so I actually have two partners uh, that I brought on strategically because, again, I'm thinking about this as a business rather than a promotional product company. Yeah. Um, and so I focus, I do the sales and operations. Um, my second partner does the creative and the design, and my third partner uh, is in ch- is in charge of legal accounting and our development. Right. And. And this person would definitely be somewhere, I'm sure, high up at one of these tech companies um, because of his knowledge of what's happening. Because he's not only a developer, but he also understands business. So he's building our program rather than, you know, frivolous uh, just features all over the place. I mean, we're strategically spending time developing what we need and what we see um, in the market and some ideas that we have to keep us going forward. And, you know, especially because I think, you know, I'm actually less concerned about right now because our industry is pretty still behind. I'm worried about in 10 years and 15 years, and I want to be way ahead of the bell curve when more developing and things happen. I mean, people are learning code fact. I mean, like everyone is starting to learn this stuff and, and people are going to become better at this and applications are going to become easier to build um, and, yep. and more people are going to be able to build them. And so we're really, I'm extremely focused 
on what we are developing and building because we think it is at the core of everything that we're doing here. Right. Good good advice. We've got uh, about uh, seven minutes or so, so we probably should wrap up. Mark, are there any questions before we head to the famous ten questions? You know what? I do, I do have one. I have many other questions, Jeff, but I'm going to ask you one more. Um, and, and it does uh, – it, it ties into this I, I, brilliant point that you just made in terms of how – this next generation of of people that are coming up through the food chain are learning code. It's part of the day to day, and how you'll see a lot more promotional companies that are coming on board and they're developing technology from day one, just like you you had mentioned, uh, you, you you did with yourself. There's a company that I came across uh, that's part of the Y Combinator uh, Tech Accelerator, not so far from you, Jeff, just down in Silicon Valley. Uh, called Teespring. I'm not sure if you've come across them before. Um, have, have, you, have you heard of them before? I'm, I'm clear on Teespring for sure. So I, what I think is interesting, and for, for the people that haven't heard of Teespring, is that, that this is a crowdsourced t-shirt company, so it allows for oh, you not, to... Sorry? Not, I mean, okay, I mean, they're sort of crowdsourced. Uh, uh, meaning, or to clarify, meaning that you can be an organization and you can come up with a concept for uh, a T-shirt. Let's say you want to go and sell it, and then they'll go and quote unquote crowdsource, or they'll go and market that to a range of other buyers. And then, if a number of people are of a certain minimum uh, uh, subscribe to that particular design at that price, then the deal is on, and then that organization then goes and or Teespring then prints the shirts ships them out to all the people that have purchased it and from a fulfillment standpoint the the uh, the client doesn't have to do anything other than just collect the royalty check so it's kind of like a cafe press uh, a little bit more yeah. uh, tech focused and I just think it's really interesting and, and you know how do you you must have come uh, come across those guys okay so in 2004 we actually came up with this idea called the iBuy which okay. sprung out of um, our fraternity rooms where we would sign up for t-shirts on a piece of paper. And in 2004, we actually built um, a way so that we would send out a link out to organization. The organization would either pay by credit card or I could bill to the organization and they can actually buy online through what's called yep. an iPad. And that's actually, and so Teespring has actually done the exact same thing that we did. I think it's actually, it's actually less about the crowdsourcing. It's more that what they've done is they've said, We'll design a shirt. You can give money back to a nonprofit organization and sell it to anyone that you want. Right. What Teespring Spring has done that's really good is that they've they've done a good job with this whole social media aspect and the user experience of finding um, of building a, a platform that's really simple. And I'll go back to this whole hedgehog model. Very clean. They are doing one thing. They are making shirts. For people to raise money, yeah. And in this world where you know, I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff going on right now. You know, with with the with the tornadoes and with uh, unemployment and with the shootings in school and with the bombings in Boston. I mean, it's horrific what's happened here. And and people want to get behind charities and donations and and. And I see this in college all the time, and people want to fundraise and raise money, and, and they build a platform that does this. Um, it's not necessarily, they haven't necessarily built a platform because lots, of, lots and lots and lots of people have, what we have is called the iBuy 
um, they've just done a really good job with the user experience and with the social media aspect of it and, and getting yeah. out there. And, and, they, and they've, got, they've got a ton of exposure also, which has worked really well here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. like, I'm, I'm a cafe press necessarily that sets up a store because you can buy one shirt from a cafe press versus um, them. You have, to, you have to hit a minimum and then they make it one time and then, they, they, and then they, they, they mail them out to people. And I don't know if they group ship them or individually ship them. I assume that they're individually shipping them um, or they have an option for both here, but yeah, yeah I think I think that uh, you know I, I don't consider them in our industry though. Right, let me. Um, they're, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, I can. We can move on. I mean, okay, I was going to. They're more of a T-shirt company, I think, and I think that's where I started from. And will they turn into a promotional product company here? Yeah, uh, yeah. I kind of have a kind of a question for both you and Mark, Jeff. Um, we have seen in the industry margins pretty much being suppressed, I would say, particularly over the past decade, and yet we all seem to be pouring in more resources, more operational costs, and particularly when it, in regards to technology. Are both of you guys um, turning around and charging more service fees, or are you developing technology so that so that you can be more operationally efficient and still dealing with those suppressed margins i don't know if i'm clear on that but um does that make sense yeah no i'm clear i think that uh i think that hopefully technology allows me to decrease my operational expenses over uh expenses over time yeah and i also hope that it allows me to gain more business so that we're processing more orders uh, rather than, uh, you know, rather, rather than uh, spending time on less orders. Um, I also hope that uh, through these services and technology, which, which we definitely express to clients that they are gaining and we show it through, and we try to show the value to our clients, I hope that in the business that we are landing, it's going to help me prevent or maybe minimize the compressed margins that some companies may be forcing us to take. And maybe the compressed margins, I'm just not going to take that business. I mean, in the initial startup, you said $19 billion industry. There's enough business for our company to take here that I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily need to take this, you know, you know, some compressed margin that some companies forcing me to take because they think they understand our industry. Yeah. And so streamlining ops, and then it's also be, this is both becoming a big part of business development. So whereas you might have twenty years ago invested more money into more sales people, your technology is becoming a part of your sales force. Is yeah. definitely part. Is definitely part of our sales force, especially on reoccurring business. Hmm. And Bobby, you certainly have talked about justifying that investment on, on your end when you're building out your online store. It's the same. It's the yeah. same uh, same yeah. thing. Yeah, I'm asking the question very selfishly, just just to continue to have the conversation because I think uh, I'm a big believer in it, and I just want to hear your your reasons for yeah. it as well. I, I think I'm gonna. Sorry, I want to say a cool thing about the online stores. However, I think the problem with online stores, though, is I actually think online stores are, are, are going to lose value and, and we are going to have a hard time placing value on the store, per se, in quotation mark. Because, I mean, like, you know, you could go to Shopify and use a Shopify store for not very much money yeah. or yeah. someone develop a store for you. It's not going to cost very much. I don't think the actual store platform or if you go to Teespring, the actual 
selling a piece is actually the expensive piece. And building a store is not, is not where the expense is going to be, I think, because it's going to become so widely available. Um, and I'm talking about just the technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm one of those that say there's a really a lot of bad store business out there, just as there is a lot of bad business, period. But particularly in that program business where you could just literally lose your shirt. I think you could also, no pun intended, I think that you could also, Jeff, make that argument about the um, about the proliferation of online, uh, uh, not online company stores, but just the online storefront. So back in the day for imprint and branders and e-promos had an amazing competitive advantage because it was really expensive to build what they built. Whereas now you can be a regular ASI or Sage member, work out of your house and there's nothing wrong with that, but you can have a website for, you know, less than a thousand bucks a year and slap your uh, logo at the very top and boom, you're in business and you're technically the same as for imprint. So uh, customers don't really see you as any different. So I, I, I have maintained particularly the last couple of years that having a website with a product catalog on it is not necessarily a point of differentiation like it once was. Yeah. Well, guys, let's move on to our uh, questions so we can uh, get Jeff moving on. Uh, Jeff, let's start with uh, the first question. What is your favorite word? I think my favorite word is, and we use it at work, and it's sort of, you know, worn out, but I think my favorite word is amazing. Hey, you stole mine. It's not allowed. (laughs) Is that your favorite word? Is that your favorite word also? I th- I th- Bobby, did I do in, in my when you grilled me? Was that my? I think that was my favorite. I, word. I don't pay attention to anything you say. I'll bet uh, it was. I'll have to go back and look. And, and one of our slogans here is "Make Amazing," um, and it's sort of like an ongoing thing. I, I just think the word um, describes something so clearly, like what's good in people's minds. But when you say the word "amazing," um, I, I like to say there's amazing and there's sort of everything else. I love that these silly questions do end up. You know, yielding so much information more about your operation. So, second question: Room, desk, and car. Which do you clean first? Well, I just bought a Tesla last week, so <laughs> um, I think that's an easy answer. Um, I would clean my car um, because my office is pretty clean because I don't keep much stuff, and um, I think my house is the same way. I'm sort of I have minimal amount of um, items. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Favorite animated film. I don't know why I think this, um, and I don't have any particular connection to this, um, but I think I'm going to say Lion King. Okay. All right. I have no real connection. I just think I like the movie. Okay. Favorite beverage? Uh, It's going to be a split between water and a drink called Columbia Gorge Organic green veggie juice and when i say green juice i'm saying like only vegetables nothing else that's what i drink is literally a green drink but not all this extra sugar is nothing just vegetables that's like that's like a nature's red bull mark isn't yours red bull yeah, that, that that sounds like the kind of juice that you have on tap at the Robin offices uh, there, Bobby. <laughs> it sort of tastes like glorified dirt. <laughs> I, actually, awesome. I think I like it. It sounds like very it. Seattle. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does sound Seattle. 
Uh, first Mars visit, you can only take the complete works of one artist and author with you. Who are they? All right. So I actually don't think I have, um, I don't think I have an artist. I'm not, I, I think that um, I would find a way uh, to get internet and probably listen to Spotify. Yeah. Um, but I think that, and I, I, and I don't spend a lot of time reading books, not because I don't read, but because I just read um, snippets or highlights or whatever. And I think it would probably be um, a guy named Evan Silva. He is a uh, fantasy football blogger uh, that I think is totally right on and thinks about it differently. And I love some of his insights into NFL football. Yeah, cool. Okay. We learn a lot. Uh, what, what excites you about our industry? Um, okay, so what I think I like about the industry is is it gives people the um, ability to be passionate about whatever – do no, sorry. It allows them to work in an industry that they're passionate about. Oh, yeah. And I have some people in our office who really just love, love, love their clients and they love their items. Um, this has sort of given me an opportunity to run a business that I really like. That, that I think, is what I'm passionate about. Um, and I think that, I mean, especially for our company, I'm really excited because there's a tremendous amount of opportunity because, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of companies that aren't doing it as well as we are. Um, I'm, not trying to, I, I'm not trying to bash anyone, but I'm just saying that I, I feel really confident about the opportunity that we have here. Yeah. Yeah, and for for folks to work in what they love in an industry they love is that has been a a beautiful part of the business for a long time. So, what deflates you about our industry? I think we know some of it. No, okay. So, I think I think there's I think okay. I think the biggest thing I actually think that deflates me about this industry that I haven't touched on, and there's no I don't think there's any way around it. Um, is I don't love the fact that every order is different, mm-hmm. um, and every order could go wrong and every order is sort of up at the discretion of the end user. Like you could do everything right and send the order to the customer and the customer is not happy and now we're all haggling over do they keep it? Do we give them a discount? Do we refund the entire order? Do we blame it on the supplier? Do we give them a discount on the next order? And the fact is is we've done nothing wrong yet the customer is not happy and you know I wish sometimes that I was able to to, to build a series of products and sell that product to lots of people rather than something different every single time here. There's just, there's, there's too many chances for error everywhere I look. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think virtually everybody that's listening just raised their glass to toast you and say, man, brother. Uh, so what, what, what profession other than our own would you like to attempt? All right. So I would like to be, okay. So I'd like to be like an NFL GM, um, but in let's 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 I'll, I'll come down from you know the moon for a second here. <laughs> I actually would like to be a destination-based wedding planner. Wow. I'm not I'm not really that interested in the actual ceremony piece, and I think I would be really bad with brides who who are really concerned with like their dress and their makeup and things like that. And so I have to find someone who that's all they cared about. But I really like getting people together and I like the fun part of it. And I like the whole, I like everything that I like everything else about the wedding besides the bride specific. <laughs> I, Mark, I, yeah, Mark, I think that's the first destination based wedding planner we've had on this question. Yeah, but, you know, Jeff, Jeff, that was not my answer. That was not my answer. So, you know, there you go, man. That is awesome. 
we got married in the Caribbean and I did every single piece of it except the part that my wife worked on, which was herself. And it went, it went amazing. And I've actually had at least half a dozen people ask me to plan their weddings. <laughs> okay. So what profession would you not like to do? I'm telling you, mine would be destination based wedding planning. Oh uh, yeah. So, so, Bobby, so you're the bride, man. You're the bride. <laughs> you know it. Um, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not that interested in doing, um, like repetitive things, uh, of yeah. sort of, 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 of any sort. I think that I, I, I would, I would, I would get bored. Um, but I think I could probably run a business in lots of industries. Um, you know, uh, I got some food ideas and I'm really, I'm really interested in this whole organic, healthy, like crazy eating like tons and tons of vegetables. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not really necessarily opposed. I, I sort of, I, I like all things assuming that I'm able to, you know, be creative and do different things, which I think is what falls into this whole wedding planning thing. It's just, it's just, I'm, I'm really good at doing and making decisions and moving forward here. That's cool. Okay, so favorite app, software, or app or software at the moment. All right, so with all these people using all stuff, we're actually I'm actually trying to simplify things. Like for example, I don't have the Creative Suite on my computer, and we're using more like Google Chromebooks where it's just internet based here. Um, but I guess I like you know I like the uh, I think I like the uh, I like the Alaska Airlines app app on my phone. Because I feel as though they've actually come up. I, I like it with because I like that the business has found a real use where the phone is actually practical and helpful. And I wish everyone got this because instead of just using those papers where people are signing off at the airplane, I actually think this would really help with security and knowing who's going places. And I, I love the fact that I can check in and just scan my barcode and make changes for my phone. Um, the Tesla is also cool because I have a phone application that I can uh, run the car off my phone, but it doesn't work quite as well. Yeah, and they still need to make some up- upgrades on it. But it's cool that you can run the, fo- the car from your phone. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, Mark, uh, do you have any other questions for Jeff before we close? I have no other questions, Jeff, other than that if I was getting married again, I would call you and you could, you know, you, you could help, uh, you, know, m- 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 you know, maybe if Catherine and I get married again or renew our vows, you'll be my guy. As long as, long, as, long as it's a destination. <laughs> yeah, sure. We, but we'll, like, we'll do it in some place like really crazy, you know, uh, that, that, that'll really test your patience. The crazy like Siberia, you know. Okay. If I had a wedding in Siberia, I mean, I'd have to have a pretty large budget because what I do, I could throw a killer wedding in Siberia. <laughs> All right, man. There you go. That's crazy. There you Jeff, go. man, it's, it's, it's been – it's been good to have you uh, on the podcast. I mean, congratulations on building such a tremendous uh, business. Um, and it's obvious by your energy alone that you guys, uh, what propels your business. And so just congrats. And we're, Mark and I are, this is, this is the fun part of Mark and I uh, doing this kind of as a hobby, as a side gig, is that we get to visit with smart people like you. And thanks for your time. Absolutely. All right. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I, I had a great time also. So thank you. All right. It won't be the la- it won't be the last time we rope you into something like this, Jeff. I agree. So I agree. Appreciate it, buddy. I agree. And uh, for our promo kitchen listeners, thanks for tuning in again. And we might have a special guest coming up. You know, we've had a couple of fantastic guests lately. We've had Seth Godin. Uh, we've had Daniel Pink. Uh, we've had folks like Jeff who can tell us the, the the nuts and bolts of running our businesses and our industry. 
Um, so stay tuned. we got some more exciting things around the corner for the Pummel Kitchen podcast. And, guys, until next time. See ya. All right.